Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast Podcast, hosted at podfeed.com, a technology geek podcast with an Epsos-like Apple bias. Today is Sunday, March 27th, 2022, and this is show number 881. Well, we've got a packed show this week with lots of good fun, so let's dig right in. This week on Chit Chat Across the Pond, we have Jill from the Northwoods back on the show. She's the host of the delightful and inspiring Start With Small Steps podcast at smallstepspod.com. She decided a few years ago that she wanted to switch from Windows to the Mac. I was a little bit of an enabler on this, so I've been watching her adventure with great interest. She recently made the final hard switch over, and I thought it'd be interesting for you to hear her story. She talks about why she wanted to switch in the first place. That part wasn't my fault. Uh, How she decided to switch, challenges she's had with hardware and software, and how she has finally accomplished the switch. Talking to Jill is always delightful, and this is no exception. So go check out Chit Chat Across the Pond or Chit Chat Across the Pond Lite in your podcatcher of choice. In late 2020, I told you about a tool called Folga from folga.me that is designed to simplify the process of creating tutorial guides with annotated screenshots and text explanations and then exporting them into a nicely formatted document. This was the replacement we'd all been looking for when our beloved Clarify was discontinued. When I reviewed Folga, I described a few things that didn't work quite the way I wanted them to, but I said that overall it came through on its promise. I also told you that the developer, Oleksii Srebinyi, was the most enthusiastic developer I have ever met. He loves to have people give him feedback on how the app works and what they'd like to see improved or enhanced. I've been using Folga off and on over the last year and a half, and it's improved so much over this time that I decided it was worthy of my next Screencast Online video tutorial. I just wrapped up the production of my video tutorial on Folga, and it's off in the editor's hands right now. I'll definitely tell you when it's published, but I wanted to tell you a bit more about how well it works and what improvements have been made, and I wanted to tell you a short story. When I decided to do a tutorial on a tool, or when I decide to do it on any tool, I always write the developers to warn them. I explain to them first that the Screencast Online audience is a very valuable audience because they are willing to pay to learn about tools, so that makes them more likely to pay to buy tools. After I give them this carrot, then I give them the warning that I expect to get a very rapid response to any questions or problems I might send to them during production. I felt kind of funny sending that email to Oleksi since he's so very responsive to anyone who writes to him, but I thought he'd be tickled to hear that I was doing a video tutorial on Folga. Oddly, Oleksi didn't write back for quite some time. And by quite some time, I mean three days. That is an eternity compared to his usual response time. But what he wrote back after three days broke my heart. He wrote, Hi, Allison. Sorry for not answering you before. As you might have heard, Russia has invaded my country. And even though I'm located in Germany, I had to bring my parents here from Ukraine and help with a lot of different things. So my head was busy with other things. I had no idea that Alexei was Ukrainian. And in fact, I'd assumed he was German since he named his tool Folga after the German word for follow. He went on to actually answer the few questions I had written him and closed off by saying, sorry for a very short letter. I'm very tired now. Best, Alexi. I couldn't believe he took the time to write back to me when he was going through pretty much the most horrible situation imaginable. After a few days, he wrote back again and told me things were going relatively well for him and that his family uh, is doing okay and that he was ready for more questions and he hoped to help with anything I needed. Again, I was floored. I told you that story because I want you to consider buying Folga, not just to support Alexi at this horrific time, but also because it's a very useful tool. Folga is not a subscription, with a one-time cost of $70 US or €60. There's a free trial with most of the functionality in which you can create three guides to see if it's as useful to you as it is to me. If you find yourself making tutorial guides for friends, family, or coworkers, and if you pull your hair out trying to make them look good in Word or PowerPoint, this might be the tool you need. If your time and sanity are worth anything at all, Folga is well worth the price. I use Folga for many things, not just teaching other people, but also for documenting things I want to remember how to do myself. I've documented my settings for the live show with Folga. I've documented how to get money out of my flexible spending account. I've documented how to view folder sizes on the Synology because I can never remember how to do these things. 
After the changeover to the new server, I used Folga to redocument the new settings in Feeder, the application that brings the podcast feed to you. If I ever lose that info, you would never hear the show again. Now, hopefully I've sold you on how useful Folga is and the kind of things I use it for, so now let's walk through how it works and what works even better than the last time I told you about this application. The main idea of Folga is that you create what are called guides. Your guides are all stored in a library in the Folga interface, and you can organize your guides into folders now. Guides are made up of screenshots, annotations on those screenshots, titles, and text instructions. You could approach the creation of guides, of creating a guide, using different methods. You could create a series of empty steps where you outline what you plan to demonstrate. You'd give each step a title and write out an explanation. Then you could go through and add screenshots or any kind of image to each step by taking simple screenshots one at a time with Folga or importing pre-existing images. You could do it that way, but I don't think that's the most efficient process. A much better way to create a guide is to take a series of screenshots one after another while you go through the steps you want to demonstrate. If you do it in this way, you stay in the flow of the process and you're much less likely to skip a step. Folga has a very interesting way of letting you do this. Folga lets you capture screenshots with mouse clicks to take screenshots in rapid succession. There's a setting to changing it to capture with a mouse click plus a modifier key. For example, I use shift click. I like to have the modifier key for my mouse clicks because I want to be very intentional about which clicks capture an image. After you select a region to capture, you get a little floating window that shows you how many captures you've done so far. After you take each screenshot, you can, screenshots, you can see a thumbnail of the image and a magnifier sort of like, a, like Quick Look. If you like it, keep it. Or if it wasn't quite right, you've got a trash can right on the floating window and you can keep on going. You can pause taking screenshots to change the capture area and then start back up again. Or you can hit the finish button to see your screenshots assembled in the guide. Now the real power of Folga is the annotations and text elements for your guides. There's something delightful about the way annotations work in Folga. You know how in preview, if you had a rectangular box, it just kind of plops it on screen and you have to move it around and drag all the corners? With Folga, if you select the rectangle tool, you simply click and drag to the exact area you want the annotation. You don't have to move anything around. You've got ovals and lines and arrows and text, which are pretty much table stakes for annotations, and you can easily change the colors and line thicknesses of those items, and you can add drop shadows. Now, Folga has one of the things I missed most with the loss of Clarify, and that's little number bubbles. Having numbers right where action needs to be taken is great if paired with a numbered list in the text explanation. I asked Alexi if he could add a feature, a long time ago I asked him this, where if you, say, clicked three times, getting numbered bubbles for one, two, and three, but then you went back and deleted number two, could bubble number three change to a two? Since I talked to you last about Folga, he has added that feature. Now, there are a few bugs to be squashed in the numbered bubbles right now. Like if you increase the font of the number, it can outgrow its bubble. You can always drag the drag handles of the numbered bubble to increase the size, but that's kind of a bit of a workaround because you won't be able to replicate exactly how big you made it for the other bubbles on the same page. I'm not worried about this bug, though, because I told Alexi about it, and I know he will fix it. You can't say that with confidence with most developers. Another essential annotation tool is the Blur tool, and the one in Folga works exactly as I'd hope. It allows you to change the area over which you've blurred and to change how blurry it is. That's important because you want it blurry enough to obfuscate whatever's under the blur, but not so blurry that maybe they can't tell it was text, for example. Now, there's a slick magnify tool that can be an oval or a rectangle, if you like that sort of thing. There's a paintbrush and a highlighter. All of the annotations you can make in Folga can be moved forward and back as layers, which can also be handy. Now, Folga doesn't support pinch to zoom on the screenshots, but it does have a drop-down menu with different magnification levels. I found that a little bit tedious, and then I discovered you can use some pretty standard keystrokes to change the zoom level. Command plus and minus will zoom back in and out, and Command zero gets you back to 100%, and my favorite, Command one, fits the image to the available space in the window. Now, when you export your guides, You'll probably want to have titles for each step and some explanation of what to do on this step. The text tools in Folga are extremely extensive. You can use all of the standard heading levels and things like, you know, bold and italics and right-left justification. But it also has numbered and bulleted lists and 
a checkbox option, which can be really great when someone's trying to follow along with a guide. Exported guides can be simple PDFs, but you can also export as rich HTML. And because of that, there are even cooler options in creating the textual documentation. Folga supports quoting, code blocks, rich links, and even embedded videos. Isn't that crazy? On the left side of the Folga interface, you can see a column of thumbnails for your guide, or they can be in more of a list view. By default, each step is numbered, and you can choose whether to show these step numbers in the export of your finished guide. As you become more proficient with Folga and you realize how much more fun it is to make these tutorial guides, you may find yourself explaining more complex topics and may find the need to create sub-steps in a process. No worries, Folga has you covered there too. If you click and drag a step onto another step, it indents and gets automatically renumbered as a sub-step. Folga supports seven different methods of export, and I've mentioned a couple of these, but let me list them off. PDF, PowerPoint, Rich HTML, Markdown, JSON, Word, and PowerPoint. I've tested them all, and I have to say for the digital age, Rich HTML is fantastic. If you're living in 1987 and want to print out documents, I suppose formats like Word are acceptable, but the Rich HTML export even allows you to create one file with all of the text elements, images, annotations, embedded videos, and links. If you're a CSS guru, you can even create your own styles for the export. Now, Alexi provides examples of each of the different export formats, which you can view over at folga.me. I threw a screenshot of one of mine in the show notes of specifically of that rich text HTML version that I was really fond of. I was documenting how to create a site-specific token for GitHub within the source tree interface. All right, I've mentioned a few times how incredibly responsive to constructive suggestions Alexi is. I have perhaps the best example of that, and it has to do with export and backup. When I work on videos for Screencast Online, I do them in a separate account on my Mac. It helps me keep focus and I can tailor the environment so it's consistent for each tutorial. I was creating demonstration guides in Folga in my Screencast Online account, but I wanted a completed real guide to show off the export options. In my normal user account, I used Folga's backup option to create a standalone FLGG backup file. I moved that back up to the Screencast Online account, and then I restored it into my demo library over on that other account. It worked like a champ. But things went haywire when I went to export a PDF of any of my guides. I got an error that showed I had a permissions problem, and it suggested I contacted the developer. Well, I had no intention of bothering Alexi if I could avoid it, and luckily I'm pretty nerdy, and I figured out what was wrong. When Alexi wrote the export function for PDFs, he set it up to write to a temp folder inside the package contents of the app itself at slash application slash folga dot app slash content slash temp. Well, since the Allison user account had done the original install of Folga, that meant Allison had the permissions to write to that temp folder, but the Screencast Online account did not. I did a bit of work in the terminal to give both accounts permissions, and I was on my way. I waited to bother Alexi since I'd gotten past the problem for the video, but this last week I decided to suggest to him that he choose a different location for the temp file, that that's really a non-standard place to put it. I said, I don't know, maybe put it in the user's home directory. The response I got from Alexi just illustrates so beautifully why he's one of my favorite developers. He wrote, wow, just wow. I just checked this and you're absolutely right. I have accidentally defined temp path relative to the executable and not the proper temp path as in slash var slash folders where temp files should be stored. And once I use the correct path, PDF generation is like 30 to 50% faster. I am literally this GIF right now. And he said a GIF of somebody having their mind blown. He said, thank you so much for this. I can't express how cool it is what you found. Okay, isn't that awesome? I was pretty tickled that I had solved a problem for him, and it was great that it speeds up PDF creation because it explained why that one method took way longer than any of the other exports. The bottom line is that Folga is a tool that solves a real problem that many of us have, and it's literally the only tool in the space of creating documentation in an easy way with annotated screenshots and text explanations with beautiful export options. Folga is not a subscription. It's also cross-platform for Windows and Mac. Now, Folga isn't perfect, and I do have a running list of suggestions and wee bugs that Alexi is working through, but it's a relatively young product, and it gets better and better with every single release. Please go check it out at folga.me.
me. All right, let's change gears and listen to another CSUN Assistive Tech Conference interview with QD Laser. I'm with Samuel Presgraves in the QD Laser booth, and he's got a small Sony camera with something hooked to it and a pair of goggle sort of things. And I gotta, I gotta ask, what, what are we looking at here? So what we're looking at is uh, technology from QD Laser. We're a Japanese-based company, and we focus on assistive eyewear technologies. Uh, what specifically you're looking at here, uh, for the example of the Sony digital camera, is we have an attachment that allows people with low vision or potentially no vision, according to a doctor. And I will get to an actual story from yesterday that kind of hits on that. Uh, but it attaches to a digital camera and allows them to actually see the image that they wanted to be taken a picture of. Uh, oh, this is to take a photo or to so be able to see? This is to be able to see. Uh, when you said the wearable, I'll also transition to that in a moment. But this allows someone that might have been a photographer before or had those childhood images of my hometown. And we actually have a demo video that's playing right now. This gentleman is from Okinawa. He lost his sight when he was a child and his mother was devastated. He'll never be able to see again. So when he found our technology, he took a trip on his own back to Okinawa to see his childhood sights. Okay, well, let, let's, let's move away from the anecdotes to uh, how is it possible if you can't see yes. that this allows you to see. Absolutely. So that is the in-house developed uh, Sugawara-san, our president, uh, wonderful engineer. He came up with a technology using a laser, a wide beam, wide field laser, directly projected onto the retina. So you so require a healthy retina, but you could have... Uh, doesn't what have to kind be of damage? an entirely healthy retina. We do need a healthy optical nerve and at least a portion of the retina still functional. So, okay. you know, if we look at it, if it was a rectangle, you could say the top half could be completely gone, but the bottom half is still functional. What about the center, like with uh, macular degeneration? That works perfectly with the digital camera attachment here because we can take advantage of the optical zoom. So even if the dead center is blurred out, you can zoom out and you'll still see everything that was originally in your center of focus. Oh, interesting. Okay. <clears throat> also with this camera, uh, for someone like me, I have 20-20 vision, so I'm not a low vision person. But how do I know that this works? When I look through this, my peripherals are now in focus when a typical healthy eye your focus is what's in focus. Your peripherals are always kind of hazy or blurry. So it's, it's got a, a deep depth of field. Absolutely. Uh, right now, this model has a 60 degree field of view. And in that entire 60 degrees, we are in focus. So basically, there's no bokeh. Like, I'm looking at you right now. You're in focus, but everything in the background is out of correct. focus. With this, everything would be in focus. That is absolutely correct. And then you, if, if part of the retina is damaged, like you said, if the bottom left quadrant is, was damaged, it's going to focus it all on the, all of the information on the other three quarters? Correct. So it's, we don't know what in the retina is what's damaged. We project over the entire surface area, 100%, even if it's damaged. So by getting that entire image constantly using the MEM scanner, it's going to constantly be drawing that picture over the entire surface, filling in all of those gaps for you. Now, most people think shooting a laser into your eye is a bad idea. <laughs> Absolutely. When I first heard that, I said the same thing. I said, wait, wait, wait. Every laser pointer I pick up says, do not point at eyes. Uh, our laser is actually lower power than the lights that we're standing under right now. We are classified as a class one, not a dangerous device. And we've been rated uh, through a clinical trial in the EU that took place over almost an entire year where they said this is safe for everyday use and its intended purpose. Okay, great. I, I think uh, the gentleman here, uh, Eric, quoted the uh, how many watts or microwatts? Yeah, uh, it's less than 1.6 microwatts of power. And that's considered safe for straight that in is. the eye. Okay, great. Because we've had a so, lot of people. I'm going to actually move to our wearable because this kind of fits into a better scenario. The, the camera is great for portability. You know, you can take those images, take the Actually pictures, taking photos. Be a photographer, even if a doctor declared you blind. Uh, actually, a case of yesterday, we had a disabled war veteran came in. His doctor said, you'll never see out of your left eye again. His right eye was at about 40%. And he said, can I try it? I said, Absolutely. That's why we're here. So he holds the camera up to his right eye. And he goes, oh, my God, I can see everything. He could actually see the entire room. He was sitting and playing with a Zoom. And he goes but I wonder, and he put it over his left eye and he goes, oh my God, I can actually see something. Do you know what kind of damage he had? Uh, it was, I believe it was a, uh, a brain damage that caused actual, uh, like to his visionary center. Interesting, so he was interesting. In a war, he got hit with uh, a concussion blast. So 
to me, yeah, we don't. I just don't want to promise everybody you'll be able to see magically. Correct. And but. that's what we kind of get to when we interview people as well. We're first questions we're asking is what is the disability or the impairment you have? Because complete blindness is not something we can just fix. Yeah. And this isn't yeah. a corrective technology. It's an assistive. So okay. we're trying to assist low vision. So what you have making it actually work to, to actually bring images. Okay, Correct. let's take a look at the headset here. Sure. And you're going to have to put let me put this on. You Absolutely. Know. So it's a much tighter beam, but a lot of people assume let's this is describe a it because remember it's an audio podcast as well so yes. it's it basically looks like a set of glasses frames that are gone from the bottom but go over the top and a little camera mount goes in front of your correct. eye correct and we do have an attachment that goes in here to make it look like sunglasses if that's what you like uh, just to have that appearance level so it doesn't have quite the google glass or smart glasses yeah, you don't want anybody thinking you're you're a google person there you go okay yeah yeah, so any of those smart glasses usually have this, but this is not a smart glass technology. It is a low vision assistive technology. Okay, we're putting it on me while yes. you talk, okay? You're going to have to hold the mic right up to your mouth. There. Okay, that I can do. And I will hold this battery pack for you. So everything that you are wearing, and I will actually hand you this, you are now wearing our entire technology. So I'm, I'm holding something about the size of a, maybe a big, thick iPhone. Yeah. Uh, it's, got, it's got a battery pack in it, and it's got a USB controller there, go, or... Input? Yeah, so it's okay. kind of everything, the laser drivers and everything kind of power through what you're looking at. I will tell you one thing, you haven't given it to people who have eyelashes. <laughs> My eyelashes are hitting on the inside. It, it's very precise, so we are working on a way to try and make it so when you just stick it on your face, it's right there where it needs to be. Right now, you kind of notice you have a little adjustment. We've got the adjustment screws up on the top to kind of get the angle perfect for your eye. So each person would have that custom ability. So this is much more high contrast than looking through the camera. So Correct. I see like dark things are super dark, bright is super bright. Yes. And so the intent for this is, take the example of being in a classroom or even here in a seminar, you want to take notes and you want to be able to see at the same time. Right. Well, if you have low vision, it's going to be hard to, if you have glasses or some other technology, you normally have to hold that and then put it down to write your note. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Having this as a wearable, you could now just look up and look down between a person's face, uh, a notepad that you're writing on, or your other, you know, a cell phone, tablet. It's, it's zoomed up quite a bit as well. So right here on the side, oh, you I have a zoom, zoom wheel. Oh. You just click up and click down okay. for your different zoom uh, in and out. Let me try this. Uh, okay, I'm trying it. I don't know if I'm doing it right, but that's okay. You should that's be. Okay. So it's, for, it's for audio here. It's set for just down, down, down. So it's that one click for. back. Okay. Oh, I see. I see. All right. There I'm we being, go. I'm Is it going? At, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's also interesting to be seeing that out of one eye and my regular vision out of the it other is. eye. It is. And we do have this available for both eyes. Right oh, now we okay. just have a single eye configuration, but you would just have a second device on the left side if you needed both eyes assisted. All right, you just gotta adjust for those eyelashes and I think you've got a real, a real product here. <laughs> Noted. Great for guys, not so much for women, long lashes, or maybe, maybe even a guy like myself, long eyelashes. There you go, yeah, see, I didn't joke gender specific there. <laughs> yeah, All right, this is really cool. So if people wanted to learn more about QD Laser, where would they go, Samuel? So we have QDLaser.com. Kept it nice and simple for everybody. Nice. We do have a QR code, which I can give you this if they wanna do a screenshot during the video feed or something, but please take that information. Uh, one of the best things, if you really want something moving that is a real-life testimonial, we did a campaign in Japan called With My Eyes. Highly recommend look at that on YouTube. It's a, about a half an hour presentation of different people who have used our technology to take actual photos. And these are people who had less than 0.03 vision and just oh my god i'm now taking panoramic photos that are in art museums and that's that mentality, amazing it's, yeah so how much is the cutie laser that attaches to the camera so right now the camera attachment is not available for sale we're going to be opening up the pre-orders and registrations this summer and we'll be shipping within six months of that closing okay the All right. wearable technology is available now we just launched our e-commerce web store so on qdlaser.com you'll find the information to order the wearables now great well this has been very interesting thank you very much Samuel. absolutely thank you we have two heroes this week the awesome chris stearns became a brand new patron of the podfeed podcast 
he went over to podfeed.com slash Patreon, and he looked at the different options. He looked at how you could pledge per show published at the NoSillaCast, and then the options to set a monthly limit. And he chose the latter at a dollar amount that was right for him. Means a lot to me that he decided to show his appreciation for what he learns here in a monetary way. As if getting Chris's pledge wasn't enough, the awesome Kevin Alder, also known as Steve's wingman in the live chat room, decided to increase his existing pledge. He does so much for the show, from constantly making fun of me, to taking written excuses from the live audience when they can't attend, and basically being chief morale officer for the live show, and now he goes and increases his pledge. I don't care what they say about him. I think he's a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you both, Chris and Kevin, for your support of the shows. Hi, this is Ron Hybe, and I'm bringing to you today a review of the Signia hearing aids that my wife purchased close to a year ago now. I feel a bit strange about giving a review for hearing aids when I do not actually have a hearing impairment. This is about my wife's hearing aids, but since I am my family's CTSO, Chief Tech Support Officer, I do have a perspective on anything tech in the household. And modern-day hearing aids are a whole lot more tech than a microphone, amplifier, and speaker. And it has taken me a long time to actually wrap up this review and record it, but that was mainly because I didn't know how it would end. Let's start with the problem to be solved. We have been looking for new hearing aids for my wife to provide maximum hearing quality and minimum fiddliness. So what do we get? My wife received her new hearing aids in early June 2021. I had attempted to get across to her audiologist that, as iPhone users, we thought that there would be significant advantage to her having hearing aids made for iPhone, or MFI, and I pointed him at the web pages on the topic. In response, I got words to the effect that all Bluetooth hearing aids work fine with both iPhone and Android. Yeah, well, not exactly the same thing but I couldn't seem to get that across. Well, he either subsequently learned something, or we lucked into, an MFI hearing aid. Anyway, she received the Signia Pure Charge & Go 7X, which does appear on the MFI compatibility list. Along with one of those, she received a Signia Cross, C-R-O-S, Pure Charge & Go X transmitter to take sounds from her profoundly deaf side and feed them into the hearing aid on her less deaf side. Both of these are behind-the-ear units, with the bulk of their electronics, battery, microphones, etc., sitting in a small module behind the ear, with a thin wire leading to a fancy earbud inside the ear canal. These are by far the smallest behind-the-ear units I've ever seen, including a pair worn by a very senior Google executive who can clearly afford whatever kind he wants, and they are remarkably lightweight. So does she like them? My wife reported that she is hearing much better with these than she had with her previous units, which were in-ear and several years old. She was quite happy with them at the point of just starting her 45-day evaluation period. That said, they are pretty high-tech, and as such, they share some issues with high-tech devices with which we are all too familiar, namely documentation and fiddly. And I will note these things that we have run into so far and we will revisit this question later. First, just a note on documentation. Kudos to the Signia folks for including some. But of course, most of the pages cover things that I think are totally obvious. A few pages on some more advanced topics covered in insufficient detail, and no pages covering some things that I really want to know. Signia lists an address in New Jersey and says that the hardware was manufactured in Singapore. The documentation is in English and Spanish. I can't comment on the Spanish. The English documentation is written pretty well, though there are a few clues that it might not have been written or edited by a native English speaker. But it's certainly better than the manual for a rear projection television I owned way back when. There are something like seven or eight manuals for all the stuff. The longest in terms of pages is the one for the main hearing aid. Tying that for length is the, quote, safety manual for hearing instruments, unquote, which appears to be fairly purely lawyer-written document full of helpful tips like, if a battery is accidentally swallowed, seek medical attention immediately. We seem to be talking here about accidentally taking a hearing aid, using a specialized tool to remove two pins that hold it together, using a specialized tool to pry the housing apart, removing its guts, 
separating the battery from the electronics, and then accidentally swallowing that battery. See? Lawyers. There is a fairly simple iPhone app. It includes the ability to change the hearing aid program from among those set up by the audiologist, adjust volume, and control a few other things, some of which I will mention below. It's a pretty reasonable app, pretty easy to understand and use, but it's an app. It's fiddly. There have been a few things that crop up that seem fixable only by fully exiting and restarting the app. Most of these seem to be in the realm of loss of synchronization between or among the hearing aids, iPhone, and other hearing aid accessories. As to charging, the hearing aids have a built-in lithium-ion battery, so there's no need to buy and deal with tiny batteries with increasingly arthritic fingers anymore. It came with a small carrying box that charges them inductively and, somehow magically, dries them. It has a set of three LEDs on each side, one side for each device, with a chart in the documentation that explains what the different color, pattern, steady blink states all mean. The documentation makes it quite clear that you need to use the included power adapter or bad things could happen. Well, nearly all devices come with such warnings. I figure that it's probably put in there by the lawyers to limit liability. I looked at the power adapter and cable and quickly determined that this was a 1.0 amp USB supply with a fairly standard micro USB cable. So I plugged the supplied cable into the multiple outlet USB box that we've had plugged in behind our bed headboard for years. As an age indicator, it has a 30 pin iPhone connector on top. The charger fired up and seemed to be working just fine, but it quickly started to act fiddly. Taking the hearing aids out the next morning, we expected all LEDs to extinguish. But all six, three plus three, remained solid green, and there were a few other bits of odd behavior. My wife asked whether I was using the cable supplied with the charger box. I said yes, and then realized that I was not using the one-amp charger they supplied, but was using a one-amp port on the old outlet box. I switched to using the supplied USB supply, and it's now been working completely fine. So maybe my one-amp port was actually 0.9-amp or something. Maybe if I had used one of the 2-amp ports, it would have been fine. But I'm not touching it for now, since it's working. Anyway, just a bit fiddly in terms of power supply, but since the lawyers made them put that line into the manual, I can't really blame Signia for this. The Streamline TV is an accessory we got with the hearing aids. It is a small USB-powered box that sits in the audio stream from our TV and transmits that audio via Bluetooth directly to her hearing aid. It came with an optical digital cable, a pair of RCA phono cables, and an RCA to mini headphone adapter. So pretty much covering all the bases. I was impressed that optical was an option, but I was concerned that we were already using the optical output from the TV to talk to our Sonos system. I started bringing up manuals for the TV and the Sonos to see whether there were any other options for making that connection to free up the optical for my wife's hearing aid interface, or whether there were RCA headphone outputs from the TV that we could use with it. I kept striking out on every option I could think of and was about to order an optical one-in-two-out box from Amazon when I looked at the Streamline TV box again. Hey, wait a minute. I'm seeing two optical connections on the back of it. Holding it differently so that the light hit the molded-in port descriptions, I saw that one was labeled in and one was labeled out. Reading the manual again, more carefully this time, I realized that I could run one optical cable from the TV to the Streamline and another optical cable from the Streamline to the Sonos. And with the supplied cable, I already had everything that I needed to do it. It works great. I'm really impressed that they thought to include the out connector for people who have non-trivial AV systems. This all works really well, and the volume going through the streaming system to her hearing aids is completely independent of the volume of sound coming out the Sonos system. So she can be enjoying a show on her own without any sound from it distracting me doing something else. At the same time, the microphones on her hearing aid are still active, so I can talk to her and get her attention. The downside of that, though, is when we are watching a program together, because then she is hearing the sound directly through the streaming device and also the sound from the Sonos that I am listening to. This mainly becomes an issue if I want the volume on the louder side. Maybe there is a way of fiddling with one of the volume knobs to deal with that, but we haven't tried that experiment yet. A bit of fiddly. The app that is used to flip the hearing aids into streaming mode, sending the audio from the streamlined box to the hearing aids. Because my wife has some hearing in only one ear, the audio is sent to it only, and the crossover device goes into some kind of power down or standby mode. 
In theory, when streaming mode is exited, we think that the crossover should be reawakened and resume normal operation. But if my wife has been watching TV for a while, it doesn't seem to, and so requires holding one of the physical buttons on the cross until it powers up. One other bit of fiddly. If my wife is watching TV and streaming the audio, she can walk around within the 30-foot Bluetooth radius, but if she gets too far away, the connection is broken. This is to be expected. In the biz, we call this WAI, for working as intended, when the thing fails in such a way that the engineers expect it to fail, and it's the user's fault. But here's the thing. When this happens, the multi-device cooperation of the streaming box, hearing aid, and iPhone app kind of get confused as to the state of things, and the app stops displaying the stop streaming button, even though it is showing that it is in streaming mode, and her hearing aid is also stuck in streaming mode instead of reverting to the default normal mode. To get out of this, the power button on the hearing aid itself needs to be pressed for several seconds to turn it off, and then pressed again for several seconds to turn it back on. And that's in addition to whatever may need to be done to the cross to get it fired back up. The Streamline mic is an additional accessory that seems to have about four different functions. I'm not going to go into detail on this because the only feature we think has any potential use for us is the remote microphone feature, and we think that the Live Listen with Made for iPhone hearing aids feature should handle this use case just fine. This MFI feature lets the user position the iPhone closer to or pointed at the person speaking, and the sound picked up by the iPhone microphone is streamed through the hearing aids. In initial testing of this, my wife was not impressed, but we have not given it the full noisy restaurant test. We returned the Streamline mic as it seemed to be something for which we have little or no use. And as it turned out later, she does not even really need the live listen feature. One of the things my wife was hoping we can do is some kind of direct-to-hearing aid audio in the car so we can enjoy an audiobook together on long drives. Currently, I have my iPhone paired with a Roav Bolt which is a Google Assistant interface and phone-to-car audio adapter. From the Bolt, we have a mini headphone cable that plugs into an aux input port on the dashboard. This works really well, and the music or audiobook or podcast or whatever comes through the car's audio system very nicely. But my wife would rather the audio came in directly to the hearing aid to reduce the road and wind noise that is competing for the hearing aid's attention. So far, the only potential solution I've come up with is to use a streamlined TV device and a mini audio splitter, sending the signal from the bolt to both the aux input jack and into the back of the streamlined TV. Since the device is USB powered, it should be easy to get it powered in the car, if not from the bolt's USB jacks, then from some other adapter. But see the inductive charging box fiddly about its USB power supply above. And I am pretty sure that will work. But it seems that the hearing aid can be paired with only one streamlined TV device at a time. And that means either that we buy a second fairly expensive device just for the car and repair her hearing aid with it when we want to use it and then repair with the one on the TV when we get home or disconnect the one streamlined device we have from the TV, connect it to the car, changing how my car's audio is usually cabled and reverse the process when we get home. So I'm thinking that we will do the latter, but only if we're going to be doing a lot of hours of driving on a multi-day road trip. And I'm left wondering why no one in the Signia engineering department has more than one television. So some final thoughts, sort of. The hearing aid and Streamline TV all seem to work quite well and integrate well with the iPhone. It is just that having three devices that all must communicate with each other and coordinate state via Bluetooth is fiddly. It is far too easy for things to get out of sync with, for example, the hearing aids and Streamline TV happily playing audio from the TV with the app not showing a Bluetooth connection to the hearing aids and the iPhone hearing devices settings may or may not show them connected. And this means power cycling at least a few things. But again, when things work, they work well. Oh, she does need to get used to the fact that when things are working properly, it can still take several seconds for everyone to agree on the current operating mode before she can change it. The cross works quite well until it decides that it should be off or in standby mode, and sometimes cannot be conjoled into coming back into the party until it has been sitting in the charger on the bedside table for a half a minute or more, and then taken back out. And that has feasibility issues when we are not at home. So basically, if you want simple hearing aids that won't drive you to distraction, 
This is not what you are looking for, but if you want hearing aids with the latest technology and are comfortable with the fiddly that comes along with that, Signia is a good choice. Now, by way of epilogue, as I've been researching how all this should best work together, I learned that Signia released their new version of hearing aids, the 7AX, on May 18, 2021. And so we needed to ask my wife's audiologist why he did not set her up with the latest technology, whether it is just because the new version being released between her original appointment and when her hearing aids were delivered, or there is some medical reason. We never got a good answer to that. But my wife did get the newer 7AX, newer Cross AX, and new charger. The charger has a built-in battery, so if we are ever traveling to someplace without electrical power for a few days, she will be all set like that's going to happen. This charger uses a tiny physical power connection, not inductive charging, and it does not claim to incorporate any sort of cleaning, drying, or disinfecting features. While the 7AX does not explicitly appear on the MFI list, it does appear to be working exactly the same with regard to the iPhone as the 7X. The newer model has some awesome improvements in sound processing capability, but the audiologist warned us that all the fiddly bits were still fiddly with this model, I figure that it's probably down to using Bluetooth, and that managing multiple simultaneous wireless device interactions is hard. Oh, and I did mention that my wife didn't need the live listen feature. Well, that's because she can use the Signia app to tell the hearing aids to pay attention to sound coming from in front of her, and mostly ignore everything else. So when we are sitting across the table from each other in a restaurant, she can flip on this mode and just hears me. She loves it. I am hopeful that she can use the app to similarly direct the microphones to pick up sound from the car speakers and less from wind and road noise, so we won't have to fiddle with moving the streamlined TV unit into and out of the car. So revisiting the does she like them question. All in all, she really loves her new hearing aids, except for when she wants to throw them through a window. And unfortunately, she wants to throw them through a window more and more the longer she has them. Having three radios, streamlined TV to iPhone, iPhone to hearing aid, and cross to hearing aid, it seems that something is always out of sync or otherwise in some unexpected state. Nearly every day, she needs to reset or power cycle at least one or two things involved. Maybe some of this can be solved by a software update, but the only way to get a software update for the hearing aids is to make an appointment to go back to the audiologist. The app does not even inform the user that a new firmware version is available. So despite loving the features of the Signia 7AX family, she detests it all. Having multiple devices that have no reasonable method for software updates, all connected to each other by multiple radios, is just too fiddly for her to stand. She will be getting a new set of hearing aids soon. It is unlikely that they will be made for iPhone, or even have Bluetooth capabilities. And I will not be involved in the purchase decision, because these last several months have taught me that I do not want to be to blame for helping choose exceptionally fiddly critical technology for my wife. Well, thank you, Ron. Uh, I'm sorry that that didn't work out in the end game, but it certainly was interesting for all of us. I think the Nocella Castaways probably have a higher tolerance level for fiddliness for ourselves than we do for people we support. And I completely understand why you don't want to be in charge of that for your wife ever again. Thanks so much for doing this. This was fantastic. Anat Noman is here from Real Thing AI to tell us about Real Sam Pocket. What problem are we solving today? We're solving a problem of accessibility to communication for folks who would like to use smartphones but cannot easily use commercially available phones because it's too overwhelming for them. Okay, so maybe seniors, people with cognitive disabilities, maybe? So um, our phone has been designed from grounds up for people who are visually impaired. Um, and most of our users um, are seniors. So we're new to the U.S., but we have been selling real Sam Pocket for four years in the U.K. Okay, and I assume this is an Android phone? This is an Android form. Uh, sorry, this is an Android phone with our software on it. So when the users interact with it, they don't see Android. They cannot escape to it. They just use our software. I see. So they can't accidentally get out and see the, the guts of a regular OS. They're, they're in real Sam. That's correct. And the reason we do that is because we have tap and talk functionality, which makes it very easy to operate. So all users have to do is tap on the screen, tell the device what they want it to do, and the phone will do it for them. 
All right, well, let's take a look here. So what are we looking at? Describe this. So this is a Samsung Galaxy device with our software on it. There's not much happening on the screen by design because this is a voice-operated phone. So the two important things that are here that you can do stuff with is the tap-to-talk button, which, which is, is like... Yeah, it's a lot of the a lot of the phone is this one button. Correct. It's it's it basically takes over the bottom twenty percent of the screen, and we made it large enough so people who are visually impaired can point at it, can tap on it very easily. And there is a menu on the top left corner which looks like hamburger, and if you put your finger on it, um, you will have a kind of a large L on the screen which you can trace, and it opens some settings and additional menu until you hear the item you want and then release. Everything that happens on the phone is is by voice. So we are a voice dialogue company, which means that the technology that powers it is not it's 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 complex on the background, but it's very easy to use for users. Now, what does that mean? It means that the users can have multiple things happening. So, for example, they can be reading a book, listening to a podcast, making a phone call, and when they go back to their book or the podcast, it will start from where they stopped. They can also use natural language to ask the, the phone to do things for them. So it doesn't have to be an exact voice command. They have much more flexibility, which makes it more user-friendly. Oh, how interesting. So, okay, I'm going to try to do it. So I'm going to tap on the uh, hamburger be menu on the top, and now I've got this giant L to drag my finger. All right, I'm going to let go. And main menu, move your finger around the screen until you hear the item you want and then release. Okay, so I'm just going to drag my finger down the front of the screen. Call contact, call number, settings, user guide, sighted assistance, assi turn on assistance call, turn on outdoor locations. Okay. Oh, my outdoor locations are turned on now. That's good. <laughs> That's good. So I'm going to tap done to exit from the menu. And if you notice, when you were moving your finger, the, the phone told you what that item was. So for a person who cannot see, they still have access to information and then can figure out what functionality they want to tap on uh, with the device telling them what it is. And it told me that I needed to move my finger around on screen. I didn't have to know uh, how to use voiceover on an iPhone. I was able to just move around directly. It, now, I didn't see anything about like going to the web or email or anything like that. So we have, um, this is um, a closed system, which means our users get what they get and they cannot download any additional apps. The reason we do that is we want to make sure that we allow for this tap and talk functionality where users can tap on the screen and tell the device what they want it to do um, so they don't escape somewhere else and get lost and cannot come back. So with us, we have three uh, sets of functionality and in fact, here we have um, three pillars. So we have communications, assistance, and entertainment. Under communications, it's the ability to make and receive phone calls, send and receive text messages, and ability to add contacts by voice, which is not available on other phones, and it's a big need in the market. Um, and adding a contact by voice is very, very easy. The second set of features is assistance, and we have two different types of tools or features or apps, for, for the matter of fact. So we have some informational ones with, with things like you can ask uh, Real Sam Pocket to tell you where you are. So you can say, where am I? or what's around me, and it will tell you the businesses around here. Um, you can ask for things like, what's the time in a particular city? What's the weather in a particular city? And there's few informational tools like that. I notice it also has access to Be My Eyes. This is a really cool service where blind people can go to Be My Eyes, and basically sighted people see what the camera sees and helps them find things. That's correct. So we have four assistive technology features and Be My Eyes is one of them. We have direct integration with Be My Eyes. So you can tap on the phone and say Be My Eyes and it will open the app and you can get sighted assistance. In addition to Be My Eyes, we also have a video magnifier. We have what it's called OCR, which stands for Optical Character Recognition, which is ability to read text. So you can take a picture of text and we'll read it back to you. And our OCR is able to read handwriting, which is not very common and a lot of especially seniors who still write letters and cards to each other really would like to read that. I like it. One, one more thing on Be My Eyes. Sandy Foster actually got the call from Be My Eyes and was able to help somebody find something. It's the first time I've talked to somebody who actually got to do it.
So then the last category, your pillar here is entertainment? Correct. Entertainment. So we have access to four different book libraries. We have access to a variety of podcasts. We have um, access to a newspaper and many radio stations. So this is just to provide um, fulfilling entertainment for, uh, for our phone users. And you said that we could add uh, my shows to, uh, to Pocket Sam and, uh, or sorry, Real Sam Pocket. And uh, so you'd, you'd need a sighted user to help you do that? So actually, uh, once, uh, once you give me the link to your uh, the URL uh, to your RSS feed for your podcast, I'm going to ask our engineering team and they can do it in a day. So oh, I see. podcast is very easily and they become available right away to all of our users. Okay, but how would a user get it if I'm just, I'm just, uh, Sally wants to listen to the Nocilla cast. How, I don't have access to the engineers, do I? No, you don't need to get access to engineers. You will tap on the screen and you'll say the name of the podcast and you will be able to listen it. It will give you the options to select whatever episode you would like to listen to. Then you would say episode number one, episode number two, tap on the screen and ready to listen. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. But you're going to put me in as one of the defaults. I love it. This is great. I will. Of course I will. <laughs> All right, this is very cool. Um, how would uh, somebody find the uh, the Real Sam Pocket? The best way is to contact us through our website, which is realsam.us, and it's spelled R-E-A-L-S-A-M dot U-S. Um, on, the, on the website, we have our phone numbers, our email addresses. Feel free to reach out, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. One, one last question. So does someone buy a regular phone and then you they add this to it, or do you buy a phone with Real Sam on it? This is actually a phone. We sell it as a phone, which is ready to go. All that users have to do is put a SIM card, and by the way, it's unlocked for any provider in the U.S., so any SIM card would work. Uh, you would put your SIM card in it, the device will restart automatically, and, and you're ready to go. And most of features on the phone could also be used with Wi-Fi, except calling and sending text messages, but everything else could be used with Wi-Fi. Very cool. Thank you very much, Anat. This is really interesting. Thank you for your time. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Did you know you can email me anytime you like at allison at podfee.com and I will probably answer you. If you have a question or a suggestion or you want to do a review like the awesome Ron Hybe did for us this week, just send it on over. You can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. If you want to join in the fun of this conversation, you can join our Slack community, podfeet.com slash Slack, which is fantastic because you can talk to me and all of the other lo lovely Nocilla castaways. Everybody's in there helping each other, putting funny stuff over in Delete Me. We talk about security in the Security Bits channel. We've got the Programming by Stealth channel. It's so much fun in there. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can support the show at podfeet.com slash Patreon, like Chris and Kevin, or you can do a one-time donation at podfeet.com slash PayPal. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways, like, Fr like Frank and Michael from Japan. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.